just always amazes me to think that Jesus had a family. Sometimes I think we, we kind of fast forward his life to his ministry and we don't recognize there were 30 years where he was growing up and he had relationships and he had experiences just like us. He said he was completely human. He was completely man and he was completely God simultaneously. And so as a, as a man, he experienced the things that, that humans experience. We're told that he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. And so sin was tempting him just like it tempts us. And, and to see that he lived a perfect life. And in his perfection, he revealed that to his brothers and his sisters and to all those that are around them. It's a powerful testimony. Uh, it's a proof, really, that Jesus is legitimate because it's hard to trick your family. It's hard to deceive those that are with you every single day. If you've missed any of the series, you can go to our website or you can go to Facebook or YouTube and you can rewatch them. Uh, we started out with the, the teaching that, that James begins with, with his consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you deal with all kinds of challenges and that all in life we have a lot of ups and downs and we should consider pure joy not just joy but pure joy that there's a level of understanding that God can take our pains and our hurts and use them for great things that there's, he doesn't waste anything in our lives. And there's a joy that can come from that when you recognize that God doesn't waste things in your life. And that's a joy that you can share with others. Then we, we learn to live what you learn. That a lot of times we've learned a lot of things in church, but we really haven't lived out those things. And, and really we're wasting our time if we come to here and we sing together and we give together, we listen to God's word together, and then we don't apply it. That's a waste of time. We need to live out the teachings, not be hearers, but doers of the word. Well, we also learned that everyone matters, that God has placed his image upon all of the people that live on this planet, and we are to value them, and we should want the very best for every human, and the very best for everyone you know is for them to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus' sacrifice in the gospel. And so that is the best thing that anyone can have. And then faith is more than knowledge. Faith is more than knowledge. It's not enough just to know the truth. It is receiving the truth and allowing it to become who you are. That Christ has died on the cross, raised from the grave, offered us eternity. That that is something that we don't just know about, but something that is part of who we are. Uh, love God with your words. How well did you do this week with loving God with your words? Love God with your thoughts. Uh, did you commit your thoughts to the Lord this week? Trust God with your future. Are you trusting him today that he is going to lead you to a place of, of hope and blessing? Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. Live a life worth, worthy of the sacrifice. And we consider the fact that so many men and women gave their lives so that we could have freedom to even have this discussion. We have the freedom to sing these songs, the freedom to give, the freedom to read God's word openly here this morning. So we are uh, not just thankful for what men and women did in this world for us, but we're mostly thankful for what Christ did for us, that we have an eternity ahead of us. And so we need to live worthy of that sacrifice that he was willing to go to the cross and be rejected by men and his father and defeating sin and death for us. And then last week we talked about the importance of living a generous life. I think one of the great teachings of Christ and one of the things that can be life-changing for you and for those you know is when you learn to live a generous life. 
that you don't learn to hold on to things, but to let them go and recognize that you are to be a blessing to others and being generous with every area of your life, whether it is your time, your energy, your influence, your abilities, your gifts, whatever it is, that you're generous with those things. And when you learn to be generous with those things, uh, God truly fills you with his spirit and he uses you in powerful ways. Today we're going to look up, should you give up? Should we give up? As you look at the news and as you walk around, there's so much going on. There are so many difficulties within the world that we see every day. And that's one level that can cause us to want to give up. But if I was to sit down with every single one of you, I'm sure you could tell me of things in your life that have led you to that feeling of wanting to give up. I'm sure there are things that have happened along your life's path that have caused you to not want to keep moving forward, to not keep going. And so should we give up? Should we quit? Should we throw in the towel? Is it just too tough? Is the enemy too strong? Is the challenge too great? This morning, I don't know what burden you're coming here carrying. I don't know what's going on in your life, in your mind, in your family, in your uh, day-to-day routine. But I know we all have things that are challenging. And I know that those challenges can pull us to a place where we feel like it's too much. It's just too much. And so this morning, we're going to look to see what does God say through James for us in this area of should we give up. As I was studying for this, I came across an interesting story of a a young woman in 1953. Her name is Florence Chadwick. Um, She was an Olympic swimmer. As a young girl, she loved swimming, and she grew up swimming, and she became this amazing swimmer. And she loved the challenges that come with swimming. And so she would go and swim in ponds and lakes and then in the ocean. How many of you have swam deep into the ocean? All right, that can be a very scary thing. Even if you go out on a boat and you know you're in a boat and you go out into the ocean, that can be a scary thing. Swimming in the water can be even more intimidating, correct? Well, she was fearless. She wanted to swim uh, from the Catalina Islands. If you're, if you're familiar with California, she wanted to swim from the Catalina Islands all the way into the inland of California. That's a 26-mile swim in the ocean. And so she had set up, she began to train, she began to work really hard, and so she set out, and there were news agencies there, there were reporters, uh, her parents were there, her mom was kind of guiding her along the path, and she got in at Catalina Island, began her swim, and she was just pounding through the water, and she was de- uh, there minute by minute, and then into the hours, swimming and swimming. And she talks about how uh, she had gone from a place of being so encouraged and so sure of what she was going to do and how that slowly faded away. And then she started to feel cramps and then she started to the fear, the, the water, the temperature, the, 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 just the, the, the fatigue that was taking over her body, her shoulders aching, her legs in pain. And she just began to, to talk to herself and say, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And, and she said for, for about an hour, she just had this conversation going on in her, her thoughts about how this was too tough. She picked something that she can't do. She'll never, she'll never make it. And she'll probably drown if she doesn't quit. And so um, she finally turned to her mother in the boat and said, I can't go any further. And, and while she was doing this swim, a great fog had set up. So she couldn't really see where she was. She couldn't see how far off she was from the land. 
And when she called up and she said, I quit, she got back into the boat. And then she looked and saw that she was only about 100 yards from finishing her swim. She had swam all that way just to stop when she was almost there. And she went back to write about this this incident in her life, this story. She went back and and swam it again, and this time she was not going to quit. She ended up swimming this twice, the Catalina Islands all the way into California. She swam uh, in, in England, the Straits. She was one of the first women to do um, some amazing feats of swimming. And she always looks back at this moment. And she looked back at this incident in her life and this story where she got so close and she gave up. And she said, I will never do that again. I will never do that again. None of us know how close we are to the shore in our lives. None of us know how close we are to what God has in store for us. That whether it is in the next life or in this life, we don't know. But this morning, the challenge I want to give to you, the thing I want us all to consider, is does God have something good waiting for us in our future? Does God truly have something, whether in this life or the next life, that we're moving towards? And are we willing to never give up until we get there. That's the challenge this morning. That's what I want the Holy Spirit of God to speak to me and speak to us about. So before we go to his word, let's precede it with prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are faithful in all ways. And so, Lord, this morning as we've gathered here, uh, we want to be intentional. We don't do this as out of ritual. We don't do this because it's something we mark off on our calendar. We do this because we love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strengths, Lord. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you that way yet, Lord, I pray that you would love them, that you would reveal yourself to them, and that you would bring them to a place of repentance and truth in their life. But Lord, as we gather here, the purpose of this is to know you better and to know what you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, that you would show us truth. And Lord, that we would be inspired and encouraged to never give up. Lord, we pray that you would give us today what we need, that daily bread. Lord, we pray that you would help us to resist temptation. And Lord, that we would be safe on the road that we have today, that you've paved for us. And Lord, we look forward to where we're headed. We look forward to your kingdom coming. And so we ask your will to be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at James chapter 5, I think it's important for us to recognize that James has a very unique story. First, he is the brother of Jesus. So that's a, a very unique thing to say about your life. And secondly, he was placed in charge of the Jerusalem church. And when he wrote this, he was writing to those who had been scattered because of the persecution that had come across or come upon the church. And and thirdly, James himself was arrested because he was causing such a problem for the Romans and the Jews. You see, he was disrupting their agenda. He was disrupting uh, their system. He was disrupting uh, their power and their authority and their finances. And so he was a nuisance to them, especially the Jews. They were very upset that so many were coming to Christ. 
And so the leadership decided that there's something needed to be done with him. And there was one of uh, the Roman... One of the Roman emperors had passed away, and there was a new uh, time of electing the next Roman emperor. And during that time, the Jews saw this is a great time to deal with James. And so they, they held an unlawful court, and they decided that they were going to put James to death. And so they took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And if you remember uh, the story of Jesus, when he went and he was tempted by Satan, he was taken to the pinnacle of the temple, and he was told to cast yourself down, and these angels will save you. Well, the Jews took James to the pinnacle of the temple, and they threw him from the pinnacle of the temple. And he fell, but he didn't die. And he began to continue to preach. This is according to church history, that this is what took place in his life. And they were so upset um, that they stoned him to death after he had fallen from the pinnacle of the temple. And so he was a martyr. And so in any sense of the word, or any sense of the approach, James, from the world's perspective, did not have a successful life. He was put to death for his beliefs. He was killed in a brutal way. And yet we know, as we look at it from a different perspective, that he had one of the most successful lives of all people to live. That not only was he given the privilege to be the physical brother of Christ, he was given the opportunity to serve his brother and to establish a church and to be a leader of the church, to be an author in the Bible, and then also then to give his life as a sacrifice so that today we would be more understanding of what God has for us. His patience, his willingness to go through whatever God had for him allows us today to see him as a role model, to see him as someone worthy of reading what the Holy Spirit told him to write us. And so this is important as we read these words to recognize this was not a man who was trying to get wealthy. This was not a man who was trying to get on television. This was not a man who was trying to build bigger houses and have more stuff. This was not a man who was trying to get political office. This was not a man who was trying to be successful in the world's eyes. This was a man completely and wholly given over to his faith in Christ. Completely trusting the Holy Spirit. Completely trusting Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. And so here's what he writes as the Holy Spirit prompts him to write us today. James chapter 5 verse 7 begins, Be patient then, brothers and sisters. He calls us his brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. To you, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is coming soon. And so here James is saying, look, I know, and remember, he's writing to those who have been cast out, they've been uh, ostracized, they've been set apart from everything, they've been pushed away, they've been belittled, and they've been uh, under, undervalued in the way that they're worthless, and he's saying, don't give up, don't give up. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, if people have pushed you to the side, if people have put you down, if people, if you feel like the world is casting you out, if you feel like uh, you're being attacked on every area, do not quit. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. Because the Lord is coming. He's on his way. 
And we are to be prepared. How are we to be prepared? We're to be like the farmer who waits for the storms to come. I I think when we were in Pennsylvania, one of the things that was so uh, impressive to me, the thing that influenced me in a great way was to see how farmers would be diligent at their work every single day, but yet they had so little control, so little control over the total results. If it didn't rain, if things happen, there are so many things that could happen that are variables. They could destroy their crops, destroy their livelihood, give them, uh, put them in a position of, of severe poverty if things didn't happen that they were anticipating. The faith of trusting that if I do this, if I till the land, if I water the land, if I'm faithful in taking care of the land, that God will return the results with the growth and the, the return of the fruits and vegetables and produce. You see, in our lives, we don't really control the outcome. We don't really control tomorrow. You very, we have very little control of right now. Right at this moment, none of you are telling your hearts to beat. None of you are telling your liver what to do. None of you are telling your spleen what to do. None of you are telling any internal organ what to do. It, it, it's doing it by itself. As we learn more about science of the body and of the, of the world we live in, we recognize there are so many systems in this world that are working without our knowledge, without us having anything to do with them. And yet they keep us alive. They keep us moving. They keep us active. You have very little control over those things, though. You did not pick when you would be born. You did not pick what time you would be born. You did not pick uh, your DNA. It was all given to you. Everything in your life was given to you by God. And here's what he says. Will you follow me or will you reject me? Will you say yes to me or will you say no to me? Because in the end, that is the one thing you have authority over. The one thing that God has given you authority over. He hasn't given you the authority to tell your heart how to beat. He hasn't given you the authority to tell your eternal organs how to work. He has given you the authority on whether you will say yes to him or no to him. Will you trust him like the farmer trusts the rain and the crops to grow in their time? Will you trust him when it makes no sense? Will you trust him when you feel like things are unfair? Will you trust him when things don't go your way? Will you trust him when things are not as convenient and and easy as you'd like them to be? Will you trust him? Because ultimately, he's coming back. Now, we don't know when he's coming back. None of us know. He says uh, only the Father in heaven knows when he's coming back. And this is an important point for all of us to realize. We are not on the planning committee for Jesus' return. We're on the welcoming committee. Amen? Amen. We can't plan out what's going to happen for him to return. He has that planned out. He has the plan. And maybe that plan doesn't seem so clear to us right now. Maybe that plan seems strange to us. Maybe we're looking at it and say, God, why are you doing it this way? Why are you allowing that? Why is this happening the way it's happening? Well, it's his plan. We're not on that committee. We are on the welcoming committee. The welcoming committee is getting everything ready for when he arrives. And do you know how you get ready for Jesus' arrival? You live for him every single day, every single minute, with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. You live for the Lord. You commit your ways to him. You ask him to lead you and to guide you. Why is it important? Verse 9 says, look, here's what we're going to be challenged in. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
He's saying at any moment you can walk through the door. None of us knows what tomorrow brings. None of us knows how long our lives are going to be. That is a very overwhelming thought to have. That you, This may be your last day. This may be your last hour. And you're going to walk through a door. And when you walk through that door, you're going to meet the one who created you. You're going to meet the one who made you. And there's two things he's going to want to know about your life. One, what did you do with Jesus? And two, what did you do with the life that I gave you? When you walk through, this is the judgment. What did you do with Jesus? Did you repent and believe? Are you saved? What did you do with the life that I gave you? Did you live for me or did you live for yourself? There is a moment, an appointed time. We are all on an appointment to meet the judge. We've been summonsed. We just don't know what the date is yet. Are you ready for that moment? If it were now, what would be the answer to those two questions? What would be your response to your creator? That is why it's so important and so valuable that we meet regularly and we encourage each other to focus in on these things because these things are rapidly approaching. That time is rapidly approaching. That day is rapidly approaching when we will walk from this life to the next, when the door of this life will open to the next and then it'll close and we will be in the next life. And the judge is waiting for us. We have an appointment. We've been summonsed. And James wants us not to forget this. He wants us to keep our focus on these things. In verse 10, brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You want to talk about a story where someone was treated in a way that doesn't seem uh, fair, look at the story of Job. If you've never read the story of Job, I'd encourage you today, go read the story of Job. In the story, God is having some sort of meeting with his angels, and, and Satan is there. Satan, Lucifer, Satan literally means the, the, uh, the one that condemns, the prosecutor. And he's sitting there, and God is saying, have you guys noticed Job? My, my created man, Job, he is just exactly what I want him to be. He is living life the way I intended people to live. Job is the great example. And Lucifer comes and says, of course he is. Look at all the stuff he has. Look at his money. He has all kinds of stuff. He has all kinds of influence. He has all these children. He has everything. He has this great life. Of course he loves you, God. But if you were to take that from him, he would curse you. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you the authority to go and take that from him. I'm going to give you the authority to go and take that from him. And so within a day, Job loses his family and he loses his wealth and his stuff. God has another meeting and he says, look, Job, he is still faithful. He, is still, uh, he hasn't cursed me. And the enemy says, Satan says, well, of course he doesn't. If you took his health from him, if you gave him some kind of disease, then he would curse you. I guarantee it. And God says, all right, you can give him a disease, but he, something he won't die of, just something that will challenge him. And so Job is given this disease. And you know what happens? His wife comes to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? What? Did, what? Why are you even trying? 
Why don't you just give up? And then his friends show up, all his good buddies. And guess what his good buddies do? They tell him, you must have done something really bad because God is really mad at you. And they sit there, and if you read it, chapter after chapter, they're telling Job how horrible of a person he is, that the reason these things are happening to him is because he's such a horrible person. And here we see James is saying that Job persevered through all of that. Job never gave up. Job never cursed God, even though his wife said, curse God and die. Even though his friend says, you did something wrong, that's why this is happening to you. Everything in Job's life seemed unfair. Everything that happened to him, all the things that were taken from him. And yet, what do we learn? What do we learn from the story of Job? What is God teaching us? What is James pointing to us to to have us to learn today? That this life is very temporary. And whether you have everything or you don't have everything, the only thing that really matters is your relationship to God. Everything can be taken from you today. Everything could go the wrong way. But the only thing that really matters is your relationship to God. In the end, because you're going to walk from this life to the next, and none of us can imagine what the next life is like. None of us know what is yet to come for us. All we know is what we've experienced in this life. And throughout this whole lifespan, Job is struggling and he's going through this and he's, he's trying to deal with this. But he says, he says, I know I have not sinned. I know I have not done wrong. And I am willing to stand before God in my own defense. Because he was willing to persevere. And then after his testing had come and gone, we read in Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, and if you go back and look at this, they're all, God puts them in their place and said, you spoke wrongly about Job. Job is a righteous man. He is a holy man. And I have used him to teach billions of people the truth about life. That life is more than your stuff. Life is more than what you can accumulate. Life is more about who your relationship or what your relationship is to me than what you have or what you've accumulated. Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortune and gave him twice as much as he had before. James goes on to say in verse 12, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, nor by heaven, nor by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. I think it's interesting that he pairs right from the story of Job. He goes right into this statement about how we declare things in our life. And he's saying, look, you need to be yes or no, do not swear. And when he's talking about swearing, he's not talking about filthy language. He's talking about the oath you make with your life. The commitment you make with your life. Job said yes to God. And in everything, he maintained his yes to God. Even when his wife said, curse God and die. Even when his friends tried to convince him that he was wrong. He said, no, yes, I have been faithful to God. Yes, he is the most important thing to me. Yes, he's the only one who can vindicate me. In your life, as you go through whatever you're going through, whatever challenges come your way, Job is saying, either say yes to God and give him your life, or say no. 
But do not go to God and blame him for your life. Do not go and say, God, you have made this terrible for me. You have ruined this thing for me. It's all your fault. If you're giving yourself to God, it's regardless of your circumstances. If you're giving your heart and life to Christ, it doesn't matter what has happened in your life because he can use all of that for his glory if you're willing to be patient and you're willing to trust him and rely on him. May your yes be yes or your no be no to Jesus. This morning, is it a yes or is it a no? Is it a yes, I trust you with everything that I have and I, and I will be patient as I wait for your return? Or is it a no, I will not trust you and I do not look forward to your return. I don't know if I even believe in it. This is the challenge. This is the question. This is the place that we all come to. James finishes out and he talks about trusting in God persevering, and that God is rich in grace towards us. This morning, do you sense that God is rich in grace towards you? Have you the patience to wait on his grace, knowing that he has something much better for all of us than we can even imagine? We're told in Hebrews eleven thirteen, all these people, and he's just talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that is not their own. If they had been thinking of the country left, they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In the end, in the end, James says persevere, because there is a city that God has prepared for us. And this life will have ups and downs. And you, this is not a mystery to you. You would not be surprised to hear that life will not be fair to you. That many things that happen to you will not be fair. But God is just. He is just. And justice will come when he brings us through the door from this life to the next. Do you believe that this morning? Do you trust that? Should we give up? No, we are closer than we realize. You and I are closer to that door than we realize. Life seems like it's going to keep going on as it is. Tomorrow will be similar to today. Next week will be similar to this week. Next month will be similar to last year's July. Next year will be similar to this year. Hopefully not in some ways, right? But we live like life is just going to continue on and on and on. But no, our lives are a vapor. We are much closer today than we've ever been to the end of this life. And these questions of who is Jesus to us and what have we done with the life that he's given us are resonating every single day. And we can avoid them and we can pretend like they're not there or we can embrace them and say, God, I need your help because I want to live for Christ. I want to have everything that I am be a reflection of him. I want to use this life for your glory. I want to live my life completely in obedience to you. That's the challenge we have this morning. That is what he's calling us to. So how do we apply this? 
I would say commit to follow Christ no matter what. No matter what has happened to you this month, this year, last year, whatever's happened to you that seems unfair, unjust, unrighteous, commit your ways to the Lord and allow him to lead you and guide you. Don't let your circumstances affect your commitment. Your commitment is not based on your circumstances. Your commitment is not based on what has or hasn't happened to you. Your commitment is not based on what God has given or not given to you. Your commitment is based on your love for God, regardless of your life circumstances. It's not what you can get from him. There's no healthy relationship where all you do is ask of the other person. The relationship God has called us to is a relationship of obedience and love, of sacrifice, of giving of ourselves. And he will return to us triple times a million fold in the life to come. But today is the day of commitment. Today is the day where we set aside and say we will be committed no matter what. Here's something that has helped me through the journeys that I've faced, the challenges I have faced. Daily remind yourself that God is for you. He he is with you, and he is leading you. Do you believe that God is for you today? Do you believe that he is with you? Do you believe he is leading you? These words said out loud can help you get through the hardest times in life. Job and his circumstances, knowing that God is with him and he is for him, and he will lead him through these challenges, allows all of us to maintain that commitment we need to have no matter what say it out loud write it down remind yourself every day God is with me God is for me God is leading my life and then no matter what I will not give up because God is with me God is for me and I will never give up he is guiding my path write that down put it somewhere you're going to remember it because there's days you're going to need it there's hours you're going to need it there's moments you're going to need to remind yourself that god is with you god is for you and god is leading you you cannot do it alone it is not in your power or your strength it is in his and then encourage others to stay committed you need encouragement i need encouragement you need to be reminded that god is with you he is for you he is guiding you i need to be reminded that god is with me he is for me he is guiding me we need to come together and remind each other that life is but a vapor and we're headed to eternity let's not forget what we're here for let's not forget our purpose let's not forget the mission that we've been called to let's persevere let's be patient Let's not give up. Let's keep moving forward. So what is our next step? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're not twice born, you need to be twice born. Jesus died and he rose again so that you can know that in the next life, he has set it up for you to be with him eternally. 1 John 5, 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. I talk to so many people and I say, what do you think is going to happen to you after you die? And they say, well, I don't know. I hope if there's a heaven, I'm going there. I've been a pretty good person. I hope, I hope, I hope. Jesus didn't come so we could hope. He came so we we could know. Do you know it? It's not up to you. That's the beauty of it. It was up to him and he did it. And he wants you to be twice born. He wants you to be born spiritually. He wants you to be born into his family as an adopted child who gets to live eternally with him. If you know Christ, if you've made that decision and you know you're saved, what is God telling you? What is he saying to you this morning? Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Do you believe that this morning? Do you know there's people in your life that are going through really difficult stuff? And they're trying to hold themselves up. They're trying to put their faith in themselves. And they need you to encourage them. They need you to come alongside them and say that God is for you, he is with you, and he can guide you. Put your faith and trust in him today. What is God saying to you today? Florence Chadwick gave up 100 yards from her goal. We don't know how far we are for where God is leading us. Let's never give up. Let's pray. Father God,